So picture yourself. You're in the Hanoi Hilton. And you can knock on the wall and the guy next to you can hear you. And scratch on the wall and the guy next door can... can uh, and then you, there's little holes in the wall. So you can actually send little notes to the wall. That's That actually happened in the Hanoi Hilton. This one guy, I don't know how he did it, but this is the story as it goes. And oh, what's his face? Uh, one of the congressmen that was, you know, a prisoner who became a, either a congressman or a senator. What was his name? McCain. He, he said that, that th there's a guy that kept record of the number of days he'd been in there, scratching it on the wall, so that when he got to the 4th of July... We got the 4th of July. He would sing patriotic hymns. And you know what he did? Whenever there'd be any kind of little paper or anything, he, and I don't know how he did this, but he made little American flags. And he would, he would push it through with a little stick. And then he would push the stick through so the guy next to him could have a little American flag with a little note. So all those guys in there would push him through the holes. So when he did it, then others would do the same thing. So he'd push two through, and it's like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Oh, I got two, so I'll push mine through. So they found out that he had done that after they were singing, and they beat him half to death. That wasn't McCain, by the way. That was a McCain told that story. So what happens if we're in a prison cell? How many scriptures do we got memorized? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. They are forbearing spirit be known to all men. Especially your enemies. Love your enemies. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? How about singing? I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell you that I should probably know so many songs. I've been in this thing for 40 years. I should so, know so many songs. I don't. Now, I'm not shaming you. I'm saying this is me. I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I got a lot of it, but I mean, I could roll scripture verses, but talk about singing. Well, I'll do the first line badly. <laughs> How's that sound? But, but think about that. Have you ever, ever thought in a million years that right would be wrong and wrong, or excuse me, righteousness would be wickedness and wickedness would be righteousness? I, I thought, oh, someday it'll come to that. Well, someday has arrived. Gentlemen, this camp has been great. Of all the preachers that have preached so far, I have to be honest with you, and I'm not being self uh, deprecating I think mine was the worst man when they when he preached about Barnabas that was awesome Ar Barnabas is a good man and he's a good man in almost every way you could think he'd be a good man humble bold consistent encouraging a good money manager so he could provide for others he could preach man get his preach on and he knew when he needed help, he knew who to go to, a really good discerner of men. 
He brought the Apostle Paul on. And notice, he was very okay with stepping back. Man, yesterday morning, that was phenomenal as well. It's all about the, the, the competence that we need to have in living our lives for Christ, the warrior. There's a hundred men. Want to quote that for us real quick? Come up here real quick. Come. It's got to get it on tape. We are to be the one wherever we work. We're to be the one wherever we're at. So go ahead. So this is out of every 100 men, 10 shouldn't even be there. 80 are just targets. Nine are the real fighters. And we're lucky to have them because they make the battle. But the one, the one is the warrior and he will bring the others home. Amen. That one guy that did those little American flags and pushed them through, that was the one. Man, when you're in that kind of hopeless situation, you need hope. That guy gave them hope, and he was willing to die for it. Now, they didn't kill him, but they beat him almost to death, so he would not do it again. They beat Paul half to death. Even actually, they thought he was dead, and he still got up and preached. Are we there yet? I don't want you to be the 10 that shouldn't be here. I don't want you to be the 80 that are the targets. I want you to be the nine fighting men or the one to be that for others. That's how serious this is. And if you don't think it's that serious, things are going to happen very, very quickly. You know what a tipping point is? What's a tipping point? There's going to come a point where it tips, and guess what happens? It'll start kind of slow, but it'll really ramp up quick. I don't know if we hit that tipping point. I think maybe we have. Things are going to go quick. I mean, since, since President Biden got into office, have things gone really fast? Yes or no? Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Not even two years yet. And there's some almost irreparable damage. And we got to know Revelation chapter 20. This is about us. We're the target. Not the general population. Satan already has the general population. He wants the church to be silenced so that nobody else gets into heaven. Now, who's the one who's going to bring the light? Who's the one that's going to bring the spiritual heat? Who's the one? Yeah, I am the one. That's exactly right. Here am I, send me. Doesn't matter how old or young you are in the Lord, the mindset has to be, I'm going to be the one and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to be to get there. And I'm going to get there quickly. I'll tell you what, you'll learn very, very quick. Where you die. Anybody ever watch uh, Red Tails, the movie Red Tails? Okay, that's a great movie. And there's one segment there where a young guy's going, I just want to get in the fight. I want a dog fight. I want to mix it up with them Jerry's. And the soldier gentleman that's been there since the beginning, he says, you know what? Experience is a cruel teacher. 
experience is a cruel teacher. Okay? You get the consequence first and then the lesson. We can't be that way. <laughs> when, that, when that time comes, we can't be that way. We can't be the one that experiences the crush and, and the suffering, the consequences, and then get the experience. We need to start learning right now. So that's why these camps are really great. Now, many of you have been to camps before know that I haven't talked like this consistently. But men, like at Montana Family Camp, or Montana men's camp just here a few weeks ago, they were talking this way. Yeah. And I'm not saying we need to be like them, but we do need to be men who are discerning of the times. Be sons of Issachar. Knew the times and then, or recognize the times and knew what to do. So next year's theme. Fear of God. The sixth law of momentum is fear. Fear is a powerful motivator. Fear will drive you to bend the knee to the man who can take your life and give up your convictions. Fear is powerful. Over the millennium, we've seen great men bow the knee and be killed. But we've also seen men who understood the fear of God will drive you to and through those times and if it means drives you to and through glory, great. And when it means drives you to and through powerful presentations of the gospel, unashamed, and others come to the light, that's really what we need. But first, we got to get our house in order. And so this morning, I've asked Matt Keichel to come and speak about the father of the faithful, Abraham the man that God trusted. Darren, the man that God trusts. Brad, the man that God trusts. Matt, the man that God trusts. Present tense right now. And we can be those men. We need to draw near to him and he'll draw near to us. And so I just want to let you know that Matt, you say, well, Matt's always working. You know what? Matt is supporting work in India. He's supporting work in uh, Ghana. He's supporting work in several churches. He's been supporting the work at Pleasant Hill. And he preaches and teaches as an evangelist ought where he works and the people he works with. This man reminds me of a guy named Barnabas, only Barnabas as an A-type personality, not Barnabas as a B-type personality. And I have usually introduced him in a certain way, and I will not introduce him that way anymore. He's a great man of God. Really love and appreciate him. So he's going to deliver us to us the last message. Men, we need to be as Abraham, children of faith, so God would trust us. With this thought in mind, you need to recognize Acts chapter 17. God has created you for this time and in this place to work together to bring the message of salvation to those in our circle of influence. And so, Matt, if you'll come and bring it on.
You may be seated, gentlemen, and get ready to take good notes and apply what you hear. Thanks, Matt. I love you, man. Appreciate it, brother. Man, I appreciate you a ton. Okay. Love you. Okay. Alrighty. Well, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Age requires certain apparatus. <laughs> Jeff and I were talking this morning, <clears throat> little aches and pains. Maybe not the mileage, it might be the road. But I want to, and Bill, take this for what it is. I want to make a counterpoint to what you were saying. That's fine. Times are coming. Time and time again, we see that. And <clears throat> there was a few of us had a discussion last night, and I, I think it's very relevant that even if things don't end, Right. What if, you know, one of the discussions we had yesterday morning was I'm reading a book about JFK. And <clears throat> one of the things I realized, it's a book called Dr. Feelgood. I'll just throw it out there if anybody's interested. And how many people he was treating in the Times, Spiro Agnew, vice president. But he would give these people a, a methamphetamine cocktail. And he was giving it uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, the man that directed Ten Commandments. He was taking it while he was doing the movie. This will be a good one for you guys. You'll never watch it again the same. But in the movie Ten Commandments, when Moses receives the, the Ten Commandments from on high, Charlton Heston had taken a shot before that scene was high on methamphetamines. And, and I bring this about to say that it's always been messed up, folks. Yep. It's, it may be, we may be seeing more signs. And I'm going to bring some stuff up today that, that probably corroborates more that, listen, the end times are, are getting closer. But what if it's not in our lifetime? Does that mean that we, we take our foot off the gas? Oh, you know, Bill was a little excited there. We just take, need to take our foot off the gas. And I haven't listened to the Montana fan, or Men's Peaks tapes yet, but I'm sure I'll be encouraged by that. And, well, we take, the, we take our foot off the gas because it's not getting there. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm actually trying to teach this morning and, and be a counterpoint to Bill that even if this isn't the end times, even if we aren't the last people, we still need to put our foot on the gas, brothers. Amen. Even if this isn't the end times, even if things aren't going to be coming against us, we still need to put our foot on the gas. And the reason I bring that up, because right, there's a tendency, we get all hyped up, man, we're going to peaks, we're going to family camps, we're hearing these messages. I turn on the news and see how bad it is. Jesus told us, man, if you're smart, you'll know, right? You can tell when the leaves change, fall's coming, right? And we think about that, but then what happens when nothing happens? I'm talking last night, and I remember back in 2000. What was going on in 2000? Everybody remember? Y2K. Y2K. Man, brethren, you gotta, you got to get yourselves ready. The end of the world's coming. They've got it in the, in the, in the computers, and it's going. We don't know what's going to happen, but the governments are going to take, take advantage of it, and that's it. This is it. Game over. What happened? I don't know about you guys, but I woke up that next morning. I had about three quarter wood out in the back of the house. We were living on South 71st. And uh, I had two 55-gallon drums of water, and we had some extra food. But thank God I didn't go out and spend $10,000 on a generator like everybody else that I know. Right? Nothing happened. Wop, wop, And what that does is, unfortunately, it dulls our senses to the next time somebody says, Woof! Woof! And what I'm saying is, whether it comes or doesn't come, the admonition of the day to get our house in order and to get things done and to be spiritually minded and focused 
and to work on being one of the 10, hopefully one of the one, yep. rather than the 10 or the 80, right, is, is still as valid right now today as if it's not going to end tomorrow. Amen. That's what we need to steal ourselves for. Prepare yourselves to be of use to the master. And being useful to the master means being useful to who? Who? Each other. Each other. To those that are in the darkness. Prepare yourselves to be useful to the master, which means being useful to other people. So, little counterpoint. No. Even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't end tomorrow, right? Because I'll tell you what, the more I read a history, it's been messed up for a long time. And I remember people, oh man, we had George Bush in the office. We had George Bush Jr. in the office. I still think he is one of the most wicked men in the world. Bar none, there's a special place reserved for him. I don't care that he was a Republican. I don't care that he was a conservative. I don't care that he was from Texas. He sold us down the river. Which one? George Bush Jr. Yeah. George Walker. Or is he Walker or Herbert? One Walker. Of so what I'm saying is even if, right, even if nothing happens, our call to be prepared and to be men of faith is stronger today than it was yesterday. Because no matter what, time is ticking. Mm -hmm. But what I don't want to see happen is in 10 years, we're all just like, well, I thought it was going to happen 10 years ago, so I guess I'll just go do my thing. And I've heard this over and over again. And I will say, I've, I've seen times in the church when certain things are happening. I remember for a fact that when the euro became more worth more than the dollar, right, there were a lot of people saying, oh, is it going to be it, man, when the euro's worth more than the dollar? Guess what? Euro became worth more than the dollar. Guess what happened? nothing now you look back and because of the current economic situations if you understand what's going on they're strengthening the dollar right now to try to hold it as reserve currency in the world and that's why we're going through a recession one of the biggest reasons is is because they're doing everything they can to strengthen the dollar and we just became on parity with the euro again right and so what happened a lot of americans are going to europe because it's cheap what happens if nothing happens do you still continue to push on? Do you still continue to pray? Do you still continue to be the light? Do you still continue to be a better man today than you were yesterday? Amen. And that's what I'm here to preach about today. So I've got Abraham. If you would, go to Genesis 22. We're going to get right into it. So I've been tasked with Abraham, the man God trusted. And you think about that, and what's the first thing you think of? What's the one thing that Abraham did that is amazing? <clears throat> yeah, what's it say there above chapter 22 in your Bible? He offers up Isaac. An amazing act of faith. <clears throat> now it came about that after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said to here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we'll worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid Isaac his son laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in hand his fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. 
And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. And they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and burnt, or bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the land, lad, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you are not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham raised his eyes, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Jireh. <clears throat> As it is said in this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Now how many understand the significance of that location? What was it? And, and who was eventually offered there? Jesus. The Lord will provide prophetic in every way right prophetic in what he did that he asked abraham to take this child of promise and go offer him up on the mount the very mount where god himself would offer his son as propitiation for the whole world yahweh jireh the lord will provide now <clears throat> the funny thing is and what i submit to you here is this is not the reason this is not the reason primarily it's one of them, but not the primary reason that God trusted Abraham. Let's continue. <clears throat> it's a fruit of that, but not the primary reason. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And, let him, and he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able, count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and I give to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O oh Lord God, how many, how may I know that I shall possess it? So he said to him, Bring me three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought these to him, and he cut them in two and laid each half opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Now know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, while they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. 
And in the fourth generation they will return here, and the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, your descendants I have, To your descendants I have given this land from the river Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenanite, the Kenizzite, and the Kadmonite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephium, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. That is later quoted for us. Matter of fact, uh, uh, we'll go there here in a bit, but it's later quoted for us in Romans. We'll go through it. But it was at that point when God told Abram, I will give you a son, and he believed. The scriptures tell us at that point that was reckoned to him as righteousness. And, and we'll go there in a bit, but I want to bring this out so we understand. Remember, it, the, in Romans, it asked the question, was Abraham righteous, made righteous? Was he, was he that man circumcised or pre-circumcised? Uncircumcised, right? And the circumcision then was a sign of his righteousness he had, of the faith he had before being circumcised. But of all the things that Abraham did, and I wanted to bring out him offering Isaac because it's an amazing thing. How many of us could offer our son, our only son of promise, on an altar, right? But the thing that really impressed God, first and foremost, was that when God told him, you shall have a son, he believed him. Now, he was an old man. Sarah was an old woman, right? But he believed God, and as the scriptures say, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's when God trusted Abraham. And again... Somebody brought it up. We were talking about Job. Was it you that brought it up the first night? Somebody brought up Job, right? Yes, Ryan did. Thank you. Of all those men he trusted, right? When he, hey, take my servant Job. God knew that if he asked Abraham to offer up Isaac, that he would do it. Why? Because he believed him when he said that he would have a son. Job, why did he do that? Because Job was a faithful man. Because God, he believed God. Right? I mean, and that's that's a good case right there, right? Yeah, you went through the ringer, right? Going through the ringer. Naked came I into this world, naked shall I return. Blessed is the name of the Lord God. Right? That's faith. And we know that God squared up there, but not before a lot of pain. Right? Not before a lot of pain. And so we too need to steal ourselves that if we believe God and we realize we are just, as the scriptures say, about us, that we are sheep to the slaughter. There may be a lot of pain between X and Y, but do we believe God that it's worth it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe what he said concerning his son? Do we believe what he said concerning us on who we are in his son? See, those are the things we have to believe. Those, that's the hurdle that needs to be crossed before then he can use us to do great things. We have to have faith that what he said concerning us, he is able to accomplish and do in us. That which he said he is able to do. Do we believe that? And that's of utmost importance. Uh, Genesis 16, we see Abram. Again, he's still just Abram at this point. <clears throat> he's been promised a son. So, uh, right, and this is, this is all for our encouragement, right? You don't have to do it right the first time, right? 
And Abram's a good example of that. So he's promised a son. So finally, Sarai, his wife, says, hey, this isn't working. We're old. Take Hagar. What happens? Conceives a son with Hagar. And the minute, the minute that, uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Ishmael, thank you. I've, uh, Ishmael's a, a very, I'm fascinated by Ishmael. But the minute that Ishmael is born, the second he's born, Hagar has despised for Sarah in her heart. I gave him a son and you couldn't. How do you think Sarah I felt? She was mad. And so what'd she do? Get her out of here. That was a mistake. And poor Hagar, right? She's, okay, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll, I'll give birth to you for you. I'm just your handmaid and I'll do what I'm told. But, boom, she's kicked out in the desert. And if you go on back and you read that, it gets so bad that, you know, uh, Abram is told, listen, don't worry about the, the mother and the child. They'll be fine. I'll take care of them. I'm going to make a nation out of him too. So Abraham gives him a couple of visions, kicks him out. She gets to a point where she's like, we're going to die. Lays the baby down in a bush about a bow shot away, walks away so she doesn't have to hear him die. Right? And God comes to her and says, don't worry about it. I got you covered. Here's a well. Shows her a well. Opens her eyes. She sees a well. She goes, gets it. And he becomes a small nation. But the mistake was made, right? Uh, okay, here's the promise. So God decides, he says, I got, I got to get a little more, got to get a little more uh, succinct here on how we're going to do this. And then he does something else in chapter 17, right? He reiterates the promise. He reiter reiterates the promise. Go to Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And then God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, Sarai, but Sarah will be her name. And he reiterates the promise again, tells Abram, he shall no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Sarai will no longer be Sarai, but she will be Sarah. Why did he do all that? Gave him a new name. Why? So they would have a different picture of who they are. You would have a definite cutoff point of, that was the old me, this is the new me. When you were immersed into Christ in faith, what happened to you? Yeah. And you were given a new name. And they were first called Christians at Antioch. But the name we are given is Son of God, right? Son of God. That we now are brothers with Jesus. Why does he give a new name? So that we can delineate old me from new me and do what needs to be done and in this case right sarai and abram tried to do things their own way based on the promise sarah and abraham god says let's give you a little more clear instruction right and so go to genesis 18 verse 10 Genesis 18, verse 10, he said, He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind them. And what happened? What did Sarah do? She laughed, right? Nothing new under the sun. She's like, I can just see my wife doing that, right? If somebody told her now, hey, you know, you guys are going to have a baby this time next year, I imagine that would be a comical, I don't know if it would be comical or crying, but... It would there would be some reaction there, right? <laughs> we went through this, we did our job. But nothing new under the sun, Sarah laughs. 
But notice that God clarifies and said, your wife, this time next year. And so the first time, right, and the, and man, that's another, I didn't go through it, but that smoking oven and the torch thing, that's a fascinating piece of scripture there, yeah. right? There's there's some pieces of scripture that there's a mystery there that needs to be solved that I don't know if we can wrap our brain around, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit at the end of the sermon. But he tells them, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he says, you, through you and through your descendants, right, the earth shall be blessed. Now he has to tighten that up and tell him and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, you two are going to have a child, the child of promise, right, and do this. And Abraham believed him, right? And that's that first time when he was still Abram, though, was when it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that he believed, that he had faith that God was going to accomplish through him which God said he would do. Now the reality is, right, is we have a standing commandment. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, continuing to teach them, or baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and continuing to teach them all that I, I give you here. We have that standing commandment. We don't lack of anything to do. We've been given a command. We've been given something to do. And like I said at the start of my sermon, whether it ends tomorrow or it ends 20 generations from now or 100 generations from now does not lessen, right, does not lessen our obligation to him who paid the ultimate price for us. And it takes faith, brethren, to do it. And it's been said in this camp already multiple times, and, and Kirk did a good job of bringing things out last night. Listen, you have to have a modicum of faith going into the water. And I think Kirk set me up perfectly last night. Kirk brought out the fact that you don't need to know everything, but you do need to know some things, right? You need to understand that when you go to that water, the old man, the old woman is buried and they're raised and resurrected to walk in newness of life with Christ Jesus having been given the Holy Spirit. Amen. But we do have the reality that our faith continues to grow as we age and walk in the Lord, as we understand. There's a reason that age is synonymous with wisdom. We learn things by trial and error as we go through this life, and hopefully, if we're smart, get better, right? And so what I'm proposing today is that, brethren, we need to grow our faith. Because faith is what gave God trust in Abraham. We are never there, right? We're never there. Jeff, I'll pick on you. Do you feel that after so many years of now walking in Christ and we've done this thing remotely or together close, that you're there? You're 100% established, the man God wants you to be. No. <laughs> Jeff's like, no. But is that okay with God? Yes, because he expects us to grow. He expects us to learn. No. He says. Just like here. 1717. Yeah, 1717. I know he says it. He says, uh, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be man, born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, he believed. We know he believed God because that was reckoned to him as righteousness. 
But when it's told, listen, I gave you new names, and now I'm here to tell you a little bit more. It's going to be you, and it's going to be Sarah. And both of them do what? They laugh. He was reckoned to him as righteousness, and God trusted him because he believed. But when it really came down to the brass tacks, and God said, you and you, baby, they laugh. Abraham's still growing in his faith here, and God is gracious with him. You and I, brethren, are still growing in our faith, and God is gracious with us. But the reality is we have to ask ourselves every day, what am I doing? What am I doing to show kindness to my fellow brothers and sisters and to those outside of Christ? What contribution do I make on a daily basis to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? And we need to have a plan. We need to have a purpose. And if you don't know what the plan is and you don't know what the purpose is, my encouragement this morning is you need to figure that out. Stop. Don't do anything else until you figure out what is my plan and my purpose in the church. What gifts do I have that I can share with other people to build, bring about the building up of the body of itself in love into becoming the full measure and the stature of Christ? What part in that picture do I play? And increase your faith. Uh, um, Ken, or excuse me, Scott and I were talking this morning, <clears throat> talking about the difference of the faith in and the faith of, right? Powerful, powerful, powerful concept. I just don't believe in Jesus. I have the faith of Jesus. Did Jesus have to grow his faith? I'm telling you, one of the most powerful, powerful scriptures for me is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, Lord, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. That was Jesus still growing in his faith. But then the spiritual part of the man says, but, right, not my will to be done, but thine. That's Jesus still growing in faith. That's still Jesus showing us, listen, in the tough times when you're having to double down, it's okay, right? It's, you're not the only one doubting the outcome here. You're not the only one doubting whether or not you can do this. But always remember, but not my will be done, but thine. And so Jesus shows us very clearly that he was still, right? It wasn't, hey, I got this. Dad, don't worry about it. We got this. It was, I am hurt. I am in pain. I am exasperated. I am heartbroken. And I know what has to be done here, and I'm not sure I'm ready for it, but not my will be done, but thine. He asked, if it is possible, take this cup from me. He was still growing in his faith, still developing his faith. So we see that in chapter 17, we get the new names so that they got a new vision, a new picture. Even though it's a little bit of comic relief in there, the reality is they've got a different different way of looking at things because no longer is he Abram, he's Abraham, and no longer is she Sarah, she's Sarai, and they are Sarai, but Sarah, and they've been promised a son by them. <clears throat> Genesis 18 we just read that this time next year. He says, you guys will be it. Now, if you would, let's switch gears a little bit. Go to Romans chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that is a quote excuse me, of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, when he first believed God telling him, a man, a father of many nations, I shall make you. And so Romans then clarifies for us that the righteousness of Abraham's faith came then. The righteousness wasn't based on his offering of Isaac, which was an amazing, amazing act of faith. But the faith was that Isaac would even be born. That when that happened, and, and Abram was obviously put out, he says, listen, I, you've blessed me greatly, but one of my born in my household is going to be my heir, not one of my own children. And God says, no, no, no. A father of many nations shall I make you. And then if you understand the prophecy there, he says salvation of the whole world is going to come from you, right? That through your line, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he believed that. And that is when God trusted Abraham. Trusted him enough then to ask him to do what? I want you to go sacrifice your son. So if we have faith that we understand that we're new creatures, that we were raised to walk in newness of life, and we have that faith, are you ready for whatever task then God asks you to do? Because understand, it was that faith that made him righteous that made him able to offer up Isaac. Does everybody understand that correlation? It was the faith that he had believing he'd be giving a son that later then made him able to take that same son and put him on an altar ready to sacrifice him. So how does that correlate to us? Does the faith that you have when you went to the water that you now possess, is it strong enough when God asks you to do something very hard, is that faith strong enough for you to carry through and be the one? Right? And be the one. The one that carries many others through. Do you have that faith? And brethren, I'm here to tell you, it's okay if you say, not yet. But my encouragement today, strongly, is get there. Yep. Get there. Right? Man, I'm telling you, if, if you just ask me, what are the signs? I could sit up here for three hours and tell you the signs that I think things are getting really bad. And that, man, the encampment of the earth is circling, and, and this could get interesting really soon. And I could also probably sit up here for two hours and tell you why, hey, we've seen this stuff come and go, and I still think in American history, 1939 was probably one of the scariest years ever to be an American. Why do I say that? Because the world was on fire. We had three men that thought they were going to take over the whole world, and we didn't have the kind of military we have now. Oh, yeah, and we just come out of a big depression. Everybody was living in dirt houses, Right? So, regardless of what's going to go on, regardless of what's happening, you, brethren, need to build your faith so that when God asks you to do hard things, you're able to do hard things. It was the faith that Abraham had when he believed God with the promise of Isaac that made him able then to take that same son, that child of promise, and offer him as a sacrifice on Yahweh Jireh. The Lord will provide. And think about that. Think about the prophecy of that. 
on that very mountain, God would offer his son as a propitiation for the whole world. And, and, and how, much, how much comfort did God take in seeing Abraham offering Isaac and saying, you know, if he can do it, right? If he can do it, then my plan is good. I can do this too. Now, we could all say, well, you know, yeah, but we all knew that Jesus was going to be risen from the dead. There was no guarantees Jesus was going to be successful in his venture. Right? There was no guarantees that Jesus was going to be successful in this little venture down to earth and being a propitiation for all people. What, what happens if Jesus, in a moment of weakness, says, you know what, devil, I'll take you up on that offer. I want to be worshipped here now. I bring that up because... Game over. You're right, Ken. Game over. Game, set, match. And I bring that up because what we don't know, we're not privy to. We don't know when. We don't know how. But what is going to be your point when the devil tempts you? What is, what is, he knows us all. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our desires. What is your point when you said, you know, God, I just want this. Or, I, you know, you're right, I, I just want this. I'll give it all up because I want that now. What's going to drive you through is the faith of Christ powering you on to do that which you know you must do. We talked about it. Between righteousness and between wickedness. To do that was right. And, and a little hint, the right thing to do is probably going to be what's better for everybody else and not you. The right thing to do is probably going to be that which benefits people outside of you. And so we need to prepare ourselves for that and build our faith. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Romans 4.16, for this reason it is by faith that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith, the faith what? Of Abraham, not faith in Abraham. And again, this goes back to the faith of Jesus. <clears throat> For reason is by faith to those that are the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And who is he? The father of the faithful. If we're the faithful, he is our father, and we have to have his faith. Just like we have to have Jesus' faith. We need to have the faith of Abraham so that we believe the promise. And then, even though having been granted the promise, we'll be willing to give everything up based on what is asked of us. Again, I'll quote the scripture, you are as sheep led to the slaughter. That's what it says, doesn't it? Do we believe that? Abraham, going up the mount with Isaac in tow, Isaac asking, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? God will provide, son. God will provide. But notice the faith started the day that he believed that he would be the father of a son. That faith caused him and gave him the strength to then offer that same very son up as a sacrifice. But God trusted Abram when he believed what God had promised, that he'd be given a son. For us, it's a little different. Do you believe he has granted to us all righteousness? Do you believe he has clothed us 
and seeded us with him in the heavenly places. Because that's our, that's our seed faith. That's how he'll trust us. If we trust him, he trusts us. Do we understand how that, that transaction takes place? We believe and we partake, and then he starts working on us, starts growing on us. Matter of fact, we know faith is a growth process because the apostle said, listen, one preached the word, another watered, and God causes the growth. Right? So we need to be those fruitful seeds that are preparing ourselves for whatever it is that God asks us to do. And folks, that's not easy because, right, I've been in this game 20 some odd years. And in the meantime, I've had to raise a family. I've had to provide for that family. There's been needs in the church that we've tried to provide for. And there's been challenges and there's been work and there's been family and all kinds of other things, right? But yet at the same time, kind of like Superman, I'm wearing this, this, you know, earthen vessel there is a super suit underneath here that i'm ready to do something great when here i am lord send me today tomorrow five years 10 years 15 years from now who knows but can you be consistent through all that even if your name isn't called and you're still sitting on the bench that's the tough part right that's the tough part can i remain consistent can I remain faithful? Can I remain excited? Can I remain loyal? Can I remain faithful even if nothing's going on? Now, we all know that's there's never nothing going on. Our lives every day are a challenge. But like, no, no, you don't understand. I want something really big. Well, how about living just a really faithful life and being a great brother for your brothers and sisters in Christ and being a good person to those outside of Christ? We work on that game. Because working on that game will get you prepared for whatever the big call-up is. That's exactly right. And that's what we need to work on, brethren. We need to increase our faith. Uh, go to, uh, actually in 16 there. Uh, excuse me. So in 17, verse 17, it says, As it is written, a father of many nations I have made you. In the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist, in hope against hope he believed that he might become a father to many nations according to, excuse me, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written, was it credited to him, but for our sake, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus Lord, our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Now, you look at what's going on there, And you look at, look at in that passage, the descriptors used of Abram, or Abraham. Well, he's Abram at first. First of all, there was hope against hope. He believed. Think about these descriptors. Hope against hope, he believed. He was alone out there, folks. He didn't have a body of believers like we do. He was by himself. And he had to believe this stuff. Without becoming weak in faith, right? These are descriptors. Hope against hope he believed without becoming weak in faith. Did not waver in unbelief. 
I mean, think of just how packed that, that verse is with descriptors of Abram's faith. Did not believe, waver in unbelief, grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Fully assured what God had promised, he was also able to deliver him. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Let, let's read those again. Hope against hope, he believed. Without becoming weak in faith, did not waver in unbelief, grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, fully assured that what God had promised he was able to deliver, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Those descriptors need to be us. We need to be here on that last day after, well done, now good and faithful servant, that these same descriptors would describe us. Amen. And brother, my encouragement today is that you work on these descriptors being you because they are you. They are us. We are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the faith. These descriptors are ours. Do you believe it? And if you don't believe it, start working on it so that you do believe it. Become this man, brethren. Become this person. That these descriptors given of Abraham and his great faith are yours. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace by which we stand, and we exult in the hope of glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for one, for a good man someone would even dare die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How's your faith, brethren? Do we believe these things? And do we live like we believe these things? <clears throat> brethren, my, my hope today is to encourage us to increase our faith. And I don't say it passively. I mean today, come off this mountain and actively work, set up a plan, and increase your faith. What do I have to do? What things in me keep me from being the person I need to be, keep me from doing the things I need to do, keep me from believing the things I need to believe about myself, to be that guy, the one right? Because the one doesn't just worry about himself, right? The one worries about the hundred. Now there are some scary statistics about that hundred, but the one worries about those people. What do I need to do today to become that guy? What do I need to do to increase my faith so that I have the faith of Abraham and ultimately the faith of Jesus Christ? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. Those are the things that we need to be prepared for so that if it comes or if it does not come, we are that person doing what God called us to do in our time today. That's what is most important. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glories to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that the message? Isn't the scriptures basically telling us the same thing I'm telling you? Step it up, brethren. Step it up. Be better. Get out of the rut. Do what needs to be done. There are things tomorrow you can do, people you can talk to, that will encourage them, that will build them up. Maybe set them straight, right? Do the things you've been putting off. Do the things you know you should be doing. Talk to the people you know you should be talking to. Be the man you know you should be because that power is already within you. But the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 7. But whatever these things were gained to me, I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. Yep. You might want to cross that out in your Bibles if it says in but through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and what? The power of his resurrection. Brethren, do we believe there's power there? Do we believe we've been getting power? We're going to talk about that here in a second. Being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect, Right? Paul says growth in faith is a thing. Paul says not that I have already become perfect, but I am working on it. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but he does what? He presses on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, my encouragement today is press on. If you've been coasting, if you've been asleep, if you have been discouraged, wake up and realize who you are. Realize, brethren, what you are. And when we do that, when we truly believe, it too will be credited to us as righteousness, and we can accomplish great things for the glory of God. Uh, Go to Philemon chapter 1, not chapter 2. Actually, I'm going to just quote it here. Philemon 1, verses 4 through 7. But what I want to pull out of there, because I'm running a little bit of time here. <clears throat> but that, what does he say? Actually, somebody want to read that? Verses uh, 7 through 11. I'm drying up up here. Or excuse me, uh, Philemon, sorry about that. 4 through 7. 
Got it. And what I want to get is notice the appeal, the appeal, the appeal. Does everybody see that there? Yep. And what's the appeal for? That your faith becomes what? Based on that scripture. Effective. Effective. Right? How many of us know people that you may work with them, they may be a family member, who knows? But man, they sure make a lot of smoke and there's a lot of smoke and dust and all kinds of stuff going around, but there's just not much forward momentum. Anybody know anybody like that? Mm-hmm. Don't be that guy. <laughs> be effective. Right. You know, and I, I probably suffered from it a little bit when I was younger and probably still do to this day. You know, man, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. That's great. I don't care how busy you are. I want to see how effective you are. Yep. I don't care about busyness. Everybody's busy. Everybody is busy. Some to some degrees more than others. But my question, brethren, is how effective are you? How much of what you say you're going to do, you get done? How much of what you know you need to do gets done? How much of the responsibility that you bear as a man do you bear up and you do and you get her done? Because I don't want to know how busy you are. I really don't. I don't care that any of you know how busy I am. I just want to know that we're effective. Are you effective? Because Paul's prayer there in asking Philemon for Onesimus was, listen, you doing this for me, you granting him to me and giving him back to me will effectively help the gospel proceed. And so he asked the question, listen, how is your faith being right effective? And it's a question we need to ask, not looking busy, not acting busy, not feeling busy, but being effective, right? Because when we cut through that garbage, all of a sudden, it's real easy, right? No more excuse. Laid open for everybody's eyes to see how effective are you being? And those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. First Peter chapter three, or excuse me, first Peter chapter one Starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God of Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through what? Faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Understand when we're working on being effective, We are going to leave ourselves out there. We are going to expose ourselves. And if we're running forward into the fray, we're going to have an exposed flank, right? But the scriptures say that through the effective power of the gospel and the power of our faith, he will see us through. Be bold in your speech. Be bold in your actions. Be bold in your behavior. Be bold in your prayers. Ask for big things. And that's where I, I really want to, let me see here. Uh, one other scripture here. Go to Luke. Go to Luke. Chapter 17. It's not just us, gentlemen. 
It's not just us. Luke 17, starting in verse 1. And he said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, and that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, what? Increase our faith. Knowing these things are coming, they cried out to him, Lord, increase our faith. Knowing everything that was coming, knowing all these things, and Jesus telling them, watch out. What is the apostles' response? Increase our faith, Lord. Brethren, do we understand that we need to increase our faith? Do we? Then the question is, what are we going to do? What are you going to do to increase your faith? What is your plan, right? You either plan on winning or you plan on failing. Failing a plan is planning to what? Fail. So what's your plan? I'm working on something else. It's kind of part of a whole other study I want to put together. But I want to talk about something. And I want to talk about the effectiveness of things. So we talk about prayer. And we understand prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And we're going to go there here in a little bit. But I want to talk about a couple studies that have been done. And if nothing else, we can increase our prayer life, right? My prayer life with God at times has been extremely casual, but always there. And sometimes very focused. And it's not always been super focused. I'll be honest. Like everybody else, I get busy, ups and downs. Kind of, I remember my dad one time telling me that, you know, son, marriage isn't always red hot. Sometimes they're kind of ups and they're downs, right? Like, okay, I'll, I'll figure that out. So I work on trying to keep it as good as I can, but there are ups and there's downs. Well, life has ups and downs. My prayer life has ups and downs. Sometimes it's been awesome. Sometimes it's not. But I will say that, like, I pray when I drive. And I drive a lot because I run special projects. So I'm always driving around town. So I'm praying quite a bit. But I don't, didn't, I really appreciated when I started learning this stuff. There's power to prayer. Does everybody believe that? Can I give you some examples? Uh, random generated computer studies. Anybody know what a random generator computer is? Basically, it's a computer that you set these parameters, you give it anywhere from 10 to 10,000 outcomes, and it randomly generates those outcomes. And they started with a light. And it's funny because I've run into this principle like in four different books I've read in different places, and I could amuse you with some of those stories later, but they took a random generator of a, a random generator computer, and it, it produces a light, and they put a bulb over it, and they, they brought these people in to study the results and said, I want you to think really hard about the color you want that light to be. And guess what happened? Scientifically, they proved that there was a skew toward people's thoughts changing those light colors. Think about that. People's thoughts changing this random generated computer's outcomes based on them concentrating on that becoming a certain color. This isn't hocus pocus. This is scientific fact. The same group, and there's a bunch of groups studying this right now, I wonder about the purpose of it. 
but they have these random generated computers all over the globe and they run and they just do this and they did back in the early 2000s a series of studies that when tragedies happen on the earth what happened to the results of these random generated decisions and what they realized is that in 9-11 when the bomb went off in the france train tunnel uh, i think when the u.s coal happened and when the big uh, tsunami hit what was it indonesia where that hit indonesia or whatever they clearly showed that these random generated computer samples skewed wildly in one direction or another they didn't have any specific purpose but what they showed in their hypothesis was when these things happen what happens people are like oh i'll pray for you i'll pray for those people and we do right oh we pray for these people here and do all that but what they showed is that the consciousness of the world shifts things you guys understand what i'm saying here prayers goodwill like i always laugh when people that aren't religious say hey we'll think of you we'll send good thoughts your way there's power in that too i kind of chuckled at it. i used to but brethren do we understand how powerful our prayers are do we believe our prayers actually have real measurable power to change things do we believe that right let your faith be as a mustard seed and we move mountains. I, I'd probably freak you guys out with where my mind goes with this stuff. And some of the stuff I'm reading, trying to put some pieces together. But what I do realize is my prayers are infinitely more powerful than I ever thought. Not that I didn't believe it before, but that I realize there is energy in thought. There is energy in prayer. And it really accomplishes something. I have to laugh. I'll tell you one of the crazy examples. I read a book about Savannah. We're going to visit Savannah, Georgia this uh, this fall. And so I read a book about it called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Interesting book. But one of the main protagonists in the book, he plays this game called Psycho Dice. And he, he has people come play with him. And you think of a number and you roll the dice. And like he's sold 100%, right, that it makes a difference. Not all the time, but it makes a difference. And, and it, it ties into, it's funny, I read it, and I'd already been working on this other train of thought of and, and kind of studying these things out. But it's just interesting. Um, they also did a study, just to, to let you guys, they did a study where they put a plant in a dark room, and they have a random generated computer with four outcomes, and it would shine the light in one of four corners of the room. And they put that light in there, and the room was empty, and it pretty much did what it did and was supposed to be random. Then they put a living plant in the corner. What do you think happened to the outcome of that random computer? It skewed heavily toward pointing at that corner of the plant. Now, I don't, I'm not drawing any conclusions here, but I am drawing some conclusions here. Whether we want to believe it or not, our thoughts and our prayers, our words, are powerful. I went through Genesis last night just to double-check. And it's there all over the place. What created the world? How did he create the world? God said. God said. How powerful are our words? In our tongue, we hold the power to create 
or to destroy, brother. <clears throat> that terrifies me a bit. That terrifies me just a bit. Now, I'm telling you, at 51 years old, I can't express enough to you younger men how important your words are. And number two, how powerful your words are. Our thoughts, our prayers, our words should be weapons divinely inspired and powered to do the will of him. Yes. That's right. Everything that does not accomplish that person that that purpose needs to be eliminated in our lives. Mm-hmm. And you know I could go on and preach another 3 hours on scriptures that back that up. I don't have the time right now and and I want you to do the study, but our thoughts, our prayers and our speech is divinely powerful. God created all this that we sit in with a word. He has made us his sons. He has made us creators, or we could make ourselves destroyers. Do we have the faith that what we say, what we think, and how we pray moves mountains, changes things? James chapter 5, he says what? James chapter 5, he says, and there's that word again, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Let me say that again. The effective prayer of a righteous man creates much. I want to share one quote with you before I end this. It's part of an ongoing study I'm doing. And it's out there. I'm just going to say it. It's out there, but worldly scientists are starting to figure out people's thoughts change things. I don't think it's new to them. You think they try to control how we think? Yep. You think they try to control what we say, ultimately what we do, what we build, or what we destroy? Brethren, you better. You better. Like I said, whether it happens in a year 10 years, 100 years, right now they're working on shutting you down. And not just you as Christians. They want to enslave the whole world. They're, they're after everybody. But they really don't like us because we understand this stuff. Let me put it another way. We should understand this stuff, brethren. And what I'm telling you today is get it figured out, get your act together, and become effective. But there's one... Here it is. There's an Institute for Noetic Sciences, and they're one of the ones working on these thought studies. And uh, Dr. Dean Radden, one of the guys that's leading, uh, one of the leading doctors that's leading these re- this research, has a quote, and he says, The universe looks a lot less like a big machine. The universe looks a lot less like a big machine than a big thought. Think about that. The universe looks a lot less than a big machine than a big thought. So he says our world looks like a big thought. Now, I don't know what this guy's religious proclivities are, but science is coming to the understanding that our world is more like a thought than it is a machine. 
Think about that. God's been telling us it for thousands of years. That our thoughts, our words, and our prayers are divinely powerful. Brethren, will God trust us because we believe him? My encouragement, brothers, is be effective. Go home from this mountain today. Figure out what you need to do. Figure out what your talents are, what your gifts are. Do not belittle your prayers. Your prayers can accomplish amazing things. Your prayers can create or your prayers can destroy. Your words can create or your words can destroy. Does not the scriptures tell us to take every thought captive? Why? Because every thought has the power to create or destroy. Brethren, be like Abram. Have the faith of Abraham. Have the faith of Jesus and be effective. Thank you. Thanks once again for listening. To download today's lesson plan or find out more about Cornerstone Truth Podcast and our church, please go to www.cornerstonetruth.org or email us at thecornerstonetruth at gmail.com. Have a blessed week.